Are you sick of using safety pins to pin your bib at races? I've got a solution for you. It's called bibboards.com. These are customizable snaps that replace the safety pins. There's no holes, no magnets, no pricked fingers. It's snap and lock technology. It gets rid of safety pins. The cleanest and greenest way to the finish line. You can reuse them. You can customize them. Put your logo on it. Put your favorite saying on them. Race directors, you can make them all for your entire race if you want to. Either way, check it out. Link in the show notes, bibboards.com, B-I-B-B-O-A-R-D-S.com. Save 20% with code Let's Run. Welcome to this week's Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. We're a little light on results this weekend, but that's not going to stop us from putting out an episode just as we do every week. I think Mo has suggested she might retire to pursue a modeling career. Emily Sisson is out of the London Marathon. Does Boston now have the best women's field of the spring major marathons? Plus, Boston has a new sponsor beginning in 2024. It will be the Boston Marathon presented by Bank of America. Camille Heron has broken the women's world record for 48 hours. And while doing that, she also broke the men's American record for the same distance. Terrific run for her down under. Plus, World Athletics announced some big changes with regards to trans and DSD athletes. And our email of the week, wonder is Donovan Brazier done. This is Jonathan Gold. I am joined by my co-hosts, Robin and Weldon Johnson. Gentlemen, good afternoon from a drizzly, rainy Boston, less than three weeks out from the 2023 Boston Marathon. Guys, what are we going to do this year? There's no more dark sky. It'd probably be on this podcast 21 days out where we would check the dark sky to see the weather for Boston. I'm surprised there's not a thread. But everyone knows the new Apple weather app sucks. It's nowhere nearly up to the quality of dark sky. Why does it suck? I It's so much better than my old Apple weather map app, which is the only weather app I used on my phone. I don't know if it can tell me what the weather's going to be like on July 3rd, 2037, like dark sky used to be able to, but it suits my needs just fine. In case y'all didn't know, Apple bought out dark sky, but they didn't incorporate everything in there. You can't go back and look at archive weather. Yet another example of a big company screwing things up. I'm a capitalist, but believe there should be no big companies, which doesn't make a lot of sense, I'll admit. I'm a man of the people. And that reminds me, we want to hear from you, the people, unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, unlike Google. You can actually pick up the phone and reach us. 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. If we play your voicemail... We'll give you a free shirt, which you can get at shop.letsrun.com. I got a great email today from a supporter, or this week, over the last week, from the Supporters Club that we're going to play at the end of the show. It's going to be amazing. Robert, have we had any military contractors or you know, World War II veterans emailing, offering to organize this Let's Run meetup at the Boston Marathon? Weldon apparently wants military precision with this thing at a website that's famous 
I guess, for its lack of military-like precision when it comes to some of this stuff. Have we received any bites? Anyone taking us up on us on our offer? Not that I'm aware of, but you guys know I don't check my email or voicemails. So I tell people to call in, but that's up to Weldon to check that. Speaking about military precision, can I say something that'll probably get me canceled? Maybe. If it is cancelable, we'll just edit it out. Uh, after discussing this story, we had to so- determine it might be cancelable. Robert, we're going to cut you off here. If you really want to know the story, come to our Boston Marathon party and he'll tell you about it. I do have a question, though, for you, Robert. I know you're a man who likes to drink a lot of Coca-Cola. Every trip I go on with you, we always go to a, go to a store, you get Coca-Cola all hours of the day. But right now, I see you dr- drinking from a blue can with the Pepsi logo on it. I would think a man of your age, I'm not going to specify your age because I was told earlier today I would get fired if I mentioned your specific age. But I would think a man of your age would be very firm. You're either Pepsi or you're Coke. And never the twain shall meet. Yet here you are, cheating on Coke with Pepsi. Explain yourself. Unlike most humans that spent part of two decades listen, listening to the Rush Limbaugh show. I'm open-minded. My best friend was a Hillary Clinton speechwriter, John. I'm not set in my ways. I like bargains, to be honest. When I was in the Royal Farms, and I also like cans better than bottles. So they didn't have Coke in a can. They only had a bottle, and it was $2.99. The can was $2.09. So I said it's basically the same thing. But, Interesting. But let me confirm, when offered, when given a preference, you would choose Coke if they were both in a can. Oh, yes, without a doubt. I, I love Taco Bell, but I can barely eat there because you have to drink Pepsi. Weldon's got a Dr. Pepper in the screen. I, I've never had to lose weight, but as I start thinking about starting to train for my sub-three-hour marathon... <coughs> Never going to happen. With two of my ex-Cornell runners who have been vilified on the Let's Run.com forums for trying to get into New York without signing up, I realize I'm probably going to have to lose a lot of weight. And that might be hard. So I was thinking of just replacing all my soft drinks with the wonderful former sponsor of Let's Run, little salt packets. Help me out, Weldon. Element. Wouldn't I just lose a ton of weight? It wouldn't hurt. This is crazy. I was in Albuquerque a few weeks ago with Robert. He sees me. He's just like, do you just drink water all the time? I'm like, yeah, most humans do. He's acting as if this cra- it's crazy. I'm like, you know, Robert, this is my advice. If you want to cut a few easy pounds, just take all that sugar you're drinking with Coke, replace it with water. But the problem is, like, I ate so much fast food. Like, when you go there, like, yesterday I was going to use an app on them. I love to make to make deals, and they had like a dollar nineteen fry, but they also had a, a a deal where they had the whole combo. And it was just cheaper to get the whole combo with the drink. I guess I could say, like, when, John, when you order a combo at McDonald's, you just say no Coke. Usually, or I try to get bottled water if they have it. That's an upcharge, though. That I just get. Fountain drink of water. All right. This is a tangent. What, what? Speaking of Element, John, my neighbor uses Element. I don't know if we'll get paid for this, but I'll put a link to Element in the show notes. Drink Element tea. 
great stuff. My neighbor who's pregnant, she, she's a runner. She walks with my wife. My wife is, she's like, oh my God, Emily's into elements. Because when I first started drinking it, my wife's like, what's that? And I'm like, it's excellent. She can't believe how much I like it. Wait, wait, wait. Walden, my wife's name is Emily. Or is your wife's friend uh, happen to be named Emily? Confused. My wife's you- friend happens to be named Emily. Oh, okay. There's more than one person named Emily in the world. We we oh. have confirmed that. Enough chit chat. Before we get into whatever John wants to talk about today, breaking news. We need the breaking news sound. Well, actually, I'm not sure if this is breaking news, but the thread is titled "Breaking: Zane Robertson imminently arrested for transporting EPO from Ethiopia to Kenya." And. The poster, Speedy Gonzalez, links to a podcast called The Stable Meister Speaks. It's by an Irish guy. It is not Stable Meister, Weldon. Stable Master, excuse me. It's by an Irishman named John Sterrett. He's a running coach. He sometimes takes training groups to Kenya. And he has an emergency, like, four-minute podcast Essentially saying that he contact he has contacts in Kenya with the DCI, the Director of Criminal Investigation, that they are working together with the anti-doping agency of Kenya. Now they've, they've linked up and are now planning to swoop in on a number of training camps and individual dopers in Eton, which he refers to as the Home of Champions, also known as the Home of Dope Fiends. He continues on. So obviously the conversation that I had with a person, a senior officer in the DCI at Eldred has triggered this because it's kind of important to explain the route that this went down. He says essentially by Zane's admission to smuggling EPO into Kenya now opens up this investigation. Now, I don't know. What do you guys think of this? One, we have no idea if this is actually happening, but this brings up a few interesting things. And the reason I'm not promoting the thread on the homepage, first of all, is like if a raid is about to happen and they're going to raid a bunch of training groups in Kenya, you don't promote it publicly beforehand. That's idiotic. Well, then that's what happens in drug stuff all the time. Remember when they came out with a new drug test? Rather than bust everybody, whether it was Sydney, 2000 or whatever, they always say, we have this amazing new drug test. <laughs> Regina Jacobs, if you want to retire and not show up at the Olympics, go ahead and do it now. But go ahead. So is the Let's Run Forum the way to secretly tell the whole running world of a doping? That's the only way to sort of secretly leak, like, holy shit, you guys might want to pack up the boxes and go home. Like, this thing could be like a double ruse, like, what's it called, John, a false flag or something? I don't know, like, my, my brain's going nuts here. But don't tip people off. Let shit happen. But first of all, when I first saw this, I was sort of angry. I'm like, Zane Robertson didn't admit to like smuggling in like loads of EPO. He admit to taking some EPO from Ethiopia to Kenya. I don't think Zane Robertson's the root, the the source of all doping in Kenya. This guy moved to Kenya when he was 17 years old. Well, this is the interesting topic to me, Weldon, is if this is true, and again, I have no idea, but we'll find out in a couple days. How would them going after him smuggling EPO into the country, which he admitted to doing, how does that suddenly result in a raid across multiple locations? Unless he's actually given them information, which it didn't sound like he was close to doing. 
they know one thing that Zane Robertson brought EPO in to Kenya a few years ago. How does that suddenly result in them raiding all these other groups and camps? I'm struggling to see the connection. Right. That's a good point, John. But it would be interesting also, like, because societies love to blame the foreigner, right? And Athletics Kenya said, oh, it's the foreign agents and all this stuff doping. And this is the perfect example. This guy, he admits it on a podcast to bringing it into Kenya. He's a foreigner, obviously. Like, let's go after him. I can totally see how they would target him. But if he took a couple vials of EPO across the border, yes, technically a crime, but I don't think much should happen to him for that. Send him back his way to New Zealand or something. But John, you said we know he did this. We don't know he did this. The other speculation I've seen on previous threads in the forum, because people were arguing whether doping problems in Kenya or Ethiopia, and some people are like, look, if you're Zane and you want to live the rest of your life in Kenya, maybe you just say that you got the drugs in Ethiopia. I mean, you can spin anything. That's my take. Again, as I mentioned before, this is a classic just playbook reaction to doping. One, tip everybody off if you actually are going to do something. Two, blame it on the foreigners. I, w- I do think the correction is, is needed. Well, as you said, he allegedly got it from Ethiopia. He could be making that up to protect his ass. But to me, this is simple. The more I've been thinking about this, about what Zane should do. He doesn't seemingly want to go back to New Zealand. He said it's too expensive. I think it's because like he laughed and kind of said these people at home were bullies and blah, blah, blah. And he think he feel like he feels like he'd be going back as a failure, not some rich guy. But he needs to go back. Someone in the message board said, look, he needs to go back to New Zealand. If I was Kenya, we might kick him out of the country. But eventually his visa is going to run up anyways. I would go back to New Zealand. He needs to go back to New Zealand and get, a, as this guy said in the message board, and get a job like the rest of us. Work 8, 10, 12 hours a day at a regular job. It's not the glamour that he hoped for. He's not coming back as some rich Olympic champion. But there, maybe he could name names, talk about the groups, what he saw. Now, it still would probably damage his brother greatly if his brother stays in Kenya. So he, that could be the excuse for not doing it. But he can't really stay in Kenya and name names because without a doubt, I think he'd be putting his life at risk. All right, well, I think that's all we have to say on that topic until more news, actionable well, news actually comes out. Well, John, real quickly, if you're Zane Robertson, people obviously will always want these people to name names. He's a foreigner in Kenya. I think that would make the situation worse for him. But do you name names if you want to stay in Kenya? I don't think I do, given that he seems to believe there in the past there were threats against made against him He seems to think if people who speak out, especially someone who's not from Kenya, yeah, if he genuinely believes his life's going to be at risk by speaking out, even if he comes forward anonymously, I don't think I would do it if I were him. But like Robert said, if he's planning on going back to New Zealand permanently and never coming back to Kenya, then yes, at that point, I would say I would share what he knows. But he's also, he's claiming he got these drugs from Ethiopia, so... He's not saying he actually even got drugs in Kenya, though he might have knowledge of other groups or athletes who are doping. That will be valuable information for the authorities to have. But if he feels he's in danger, I can understand why he wouldn't want to do it. Yeah, no way if I'm him, if I'm standing in Kenya, do I name names. 
But this John Starrett guy in his regular podcast, I have a transcript here of the last one. He already was convinced that, you know, he sounds like he knows that everyone's doping in Kenya, essentially. They're going to, there are some big names in Etienne and further afield involved in this. And it's going to surprise a lot of people in Ireland and the UK and the US as well. But, okay, well, if he knows all of this, why isn't, maybe he did and he was waiting for the opportunity to get the, the word he's involved. I don't know. I guess it's, it's way too much speculation, but, if Zane Robertson's busted for just taking a couple vials of VPO across the border, it's maybe like a technical rule of victory for law, but it's not any justice in the doping fight. If the whole damn thing comes down, that'd be great. It's never all going to come down because there's not some master state-sponsored thing. It's a bunch of individual or individual groups doing it. Related to this, though, I thought this was a positive sign because remember, Zane said he didn't think you could win a world marathon major without doping. But Sarah Hall, who is now training in Ethiopia, <clears throat> went on Twitter and said, in her 25 years of the sport, she's never seen doping. She thought that most people were doing it clean. She's a call for doping to be criminalized in Kenya, which some people have criticized because Zane Robertson isn't Kenyan, whatever, and she had to delete the tweet. But it's interesting. She said she, she, this, these tweets that she's made, which I like, have now started someone, caused someone to start a message board throughout and let's run less than 24 hours ago. There's now close to 75 posts on it. And this person thinks that these tweets indicate Sheriff Hall is in Ethiopia doping, which I, I just can't understand the logic of it. Now, I have said, if you are like based in the West and you go to Africa, it makes me more suspicious that you might be doping. But... Sarah Hall going to Ethiopia does not surprise me at all. Like, why? First of all, she's done a lot of charity work there. Secondly, she has children. If she goes to Ethiopia, I'm assuming she's not taking the children with her. It's like a, an easy way to really focus on the training right before Boston. So, Robert, to me... She has Ethiopian children. She may take her children to Ethiopia to see... I mean, family or see the homeland or something. She very well may take her children. Exactly. So she's got lots of reasons to go. Either take the children to see where they're from, B, get away from the children and really focus, or D, dope. Yes, she is old and him still improving and whatever. Okay. So. All right. This all tells we, we, me we really need races to come back ASAP because we've started off our podcast talking for 20 minutes about things that might have happened or message board speculation. I like to deal with the here and now stuff that's actually happening. Can we talk about Emily Sisson is out of the London Marathon? That to me, it's a bummer. I was really, I mean, I'm still really excited for the London Marathon. It's going to be a great race. But a month ago, I thought it was going to be Emily Sisson, Kira D'Amato, the two most recent American record holders in the marathon, squaring off, seeing how far they can take the American record. Can they break Sissons 218.29? Could they go sub 218? Instead, both of them have now scratched due to injury. I'm just a little bit bummed out about it. Sisson said, it didn't seem to be too bad for Emily Sisson. I think if you're looking for a silver lining, it's that she said she's still planning on doing a full marathon and even summer road races, but that she picked up a hip injury recently in training and 
London is less than a month away at this point. She knows if she's going to go there, she wants to be tip-top shape. You know, you can't just show up in London with your pants down. So, I, yeah, it's just a bummer that she's not going to be there running. Certainly disappointing, but I, I think you kind of missed one key aspect when you were talking about how excited you were for London. I was excited for the greatest women's field in history, plus we had the sideshow of the American battle. Now the American battle is gone, and... You know, Tigis Asefa, who I think is a 215 marathoner from Ethiopia is out, as is Australian record holders, Sinead Diver, 221, Charlotte Perdue, 223, Stephanie Davis, 227. And it got me to wondering, <clears throat> is London still the best marathon in the spring on the women's side? Because originally both London and Boston were going to have five seven sub 218s. Now London has four. Now, I haven't figured out who's withdrawn. John, have any big names withdrawn from Boston yet? I, don't, I haven't seen it. They sometimes wait till the end. If they have withdrawn, I don't think they've announced them at this point. So we've got four sub-218s in London, five in Boston. We've got eight sub-219s in London, seven in Boston. But <clears throat> when you go to sub-220s, Boston has nine. London has eight. Sub-221s, Boston has 16. London has 11. So I think it's somewhat open for debate as to which is better because you have more five sub two eighteens in Boston versus four in London. I guess though, if I had to choose, I would still say the London field is a little bit better. I know they don't have like the 16 crazy numbers of sub two twenty ones, but we've argued in the past for fillers and to have depth. I do think it's important, but I don't know if you've already got like four super studs up front, I don't really care who's going to run 12th place. You know what I'm saying, John? Like, you need the fillers if, in case a couple of the big names are all gone. You don't just want, you know, New York in the past has had like six or seven names. If three or four big names go out, you don't have much left. We're not going to have that problem in either race here. Correct. That's how I feel because it's the same with Boston on the men's side. Boston has Eli Kipchoge, Evans Chibet, and Benson Kipruto. Those three, I, I'd sign, I'd watch a race with just those three guys. You know, when you have that, you don't really need that much more. And I think it's similar on the women's side. Now, there are more, you know, really top tier superstar marathoners, I would say, right now on the women's side. But they've got Bridget Kozgai, the world record holder. They've got Perez Jipchirchir, who never loses. The defending Boston champion def won New York in 2021, won the Olympics in 2021. And they've got Yalmzerf Yahalor, who is the reigning London champion as well, has run 217 in her first two marathons. That trio alone is really tough to beat. Now, it's not that... I mean, Boston also has a strong top group. They've got Amane Briso, who just ran 214 in Valencia last year. They've got the world champ, good Tom Gebreslasi. They've got Lona Salpeda, who also medaled at Worlds. But... Jocelyn Jipkowska, no? Yeah, I mean, she's... Not she hasn't been quite on her game compared to she she is a when was her last big win London twenty twenty one I mean it's that's not like forever ago but I'm kind of talking about the ones who either haven't lost recently or who are coming off really spectacular races look they're both really fields but I I think I would give London the slight edge just because I'm more interested I at least even from my perspective what am I most excited to see I'm most excited to see 
Jeff Chirchir versus Cosguy versus Yahalo. Agreed, John, but I don't Lona Salpator's not done anything recently. I figure Jeff Koskai is a bigger name than her. Salpator got the medal she medaled at Worlds last summer. And then after that she got second in New York. No correction, John. Sorry, I'm on the wrong year here. I am reading a post here on a website called Let's Run.com, February 2nd, 2022, by press release. So this is a press release, but I'm sure the press release didn't have this title, which we put on there. Greatest ever women's field assembled for 2023 London, Women's London Marathon. So I guess Asefa's out, but Y squared, Coast Guy, Chip Churchier, it still does it for me more than Boston's field, but... I don't know. Maybe that's just because like Amani Bariso isn't a name. I was looking, I'm looking at this Boston list and I'm like looking at the names and I see this one name Bariso up top and I look over and I'm like 214.58. I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm like, is that a typo? I mean, she won Valencia out of nowhere in 214.58, but it's just crazy how fast women's marathoning is. It's a good problem to have, right? Right. That They're both spectacular fields. There's both there's reason to be excited about both of them. But like you said, the names I think are a little bit more exciting at the very top on the women's side. Perez Chipchirchir, Bridget Cosguy. Say those are two of the th- I mean, throw in Ruth Chepengedich, I think those are sort of the three biggest stars in women's marathoning. You've got two of them in London. Correct. But if you go by our world rankings, it's a little interesting because Bridget Cosguy was only six last year. Chip Chirchir only did one race and was ninth. We have, one name we haven't mentioned, Amaza Yana, former world record at 10,000. She was 11th. She's also in, in, in London. So, you know, Boston has the third and fourth ranked runners in Monte Beers and Gabriel Classic, but they aren't as big of names. Um, for the record, Weldon, the greatest ever line field assembled. That was the London press release official title. That wasn't us coming up with it. They felt confident enough in doing that to put that on their own press release. Well, Kudos to them, because I'm so sick of these boring press releases. Thank you, London. Thank you, finally, for someone actually making the sport somewhat effing interesting. Uh, actually, Hugh Bracia, the race director, went above and beyond that. I think he didn't just say it was the greatest women's marathon ever. He said it might be one of the greatest women's distance run races, period. And again, I don't think he's totally off base with that. It kind of is a bummer that Seth is not doing it anymore, but yeah, it's going to be exciting. And the world rankings thing, Robert, yes, we had Jeff Chirchir and Cosguy lower, but it's because neither of them ran full marathons. And that's another reason why I'm so excited for that race is because they both missed their full marathons due to injury. Now they're coming back and they're both running. Are they still going to be at that top level? Are they going to be because we're seeing all these other women running 214 and 215 last fall? Is it now going to be hey, actually, we're the best in the world and we're going to raise the level even more at London. I just can't wait to see what they do. So that to me is a huge storyline. But the the one thing that Boston has that London does not have now is they've got some Americans. They've got Sarah Hall. They've got Alephine Tulliamuk. They've got Des Linden, Emma Bates. Oh, wait, we should mention Sharon Lacady, the New York City Marathon champion, is also running Boston. We shouldn't just totally ignore I mean, she's so far down there on the list of PRs, but she's a world marathon major champion, so gotta give her some respect. I know worldwide, people might not be as, as interested in the Americans, but as a Let's Run is running website, the American Battle in Boston, 
less than one year out from the Olympic trials, that's something I'm certainly going to be following with great interest. And speaking of Sarah Hall and this whole Ethiopia thing, she did a big fundraiser in 2020, I guess, for a homeless girls in Ethiopia. I mean, they've adopted Ethiopian children. She's doing it again. I see now from Instagram. So people questioning, you know, why she's in Ethiopia. I'll put a link to this in the show notes. She says, if you'd like to show support for my race at the Boston Marathon this year, we're making any size donation to continue to help give a better life to children in Ethiopia. It's a cause I believe in so much. I'm personally matching the first $25,000. And she'll spend, send a special gift to the top 10 donors. So there it is. She's given 25 grand to orphans in Ethiopia. So kudos to her. That's amazing. Did you want to donate? Link in the show notes. Super job, Sarah. With this talk of the top American in Boston, it, it reminds me of the early days of Let's Run when we'd be in an apartment in Flagstaff. And it was the only race that was broadcast live and we'd be watching on ESPN. And I loved it because there was no rabbit, so you could see the Americans still in the background. And there was no chip timing. It was perfect for the forum. People be like with their stopwatches in their hands. Like, I think that mile was 424. And then I always thought like, I'm getting more from the race from what people are writing on the Let's Run forum than what I'm hearing from Lewis Johnson, who was in the lead truck. So it just really brought back to like why the internet is cool and the forum was cool. It was almost better though when we didn't have like live tracking and everything. But it gets me to the question, two questions, two observations. One, this bad news for London in terms of the Americans is good news for Chicago. Because let's be honest, Sisson's going to go back to Chicago, obviously now. She said she's doing a fall marathon. I assume is going to be there. They don't want to just sit out and wait until the trials. So that'll be, be fun. But I know, John, you've already done your research on Friday's uh, supporters called podcast. We didn't get to it last week. Cause all Robertson news broke this Friday, folks, you haven't, you better join the supporters club. If you haven't already, because we're going to be predicting the 2024 U S Olympic marathon teams, Olympic teams, 800 and up. And I know John, you've already done your research. You've already made your teams. I think you had done it before this news came out. Did you have Emily Sisson on the team and does it make you nervous now? Of course I had her on the team and only a little nervous because she said, I've taken a few days off since then. I've been slowly increasing my runs. Things are feeling a lot better. Feeling fortunate it isn't something a lot worse, just bad timing. So this doesn't, she's in amazing shape as of a couple months ago when she ran 66.52 in Houston. And she's being smart here. She knows that, yes, it would be nice to go to London and run, but she already has the American record. Her biggest thing, get on that Olympic team and then go to Paris. That's her big goal for the next two years now that she has all these American records. And she is taking the smartest decision to do that. So I'm actually glad. I mean, if I had known this, I was like, oh, if you were trying to pick her to make the Olympics, would you rather have her try to race through a bit of an injury in London and potentially worsen it? Or would you say just back off focus? 
you know, if, if my only goal is to put her on the Olympic team, I would say, yeah, you probably back off. But yeah, so does it worry me? Only a little bit, but I st- it's not going to change me having her on the team. I guess I should use this as a good excuse to email to pivot to my email of the week, John. I've actually gotten this email, and I'm kind of combining from two emails over the last two weeks. It's regarding Donovan Brazier. We have a great supporters club member. Again, if you haven't joined, let's run.com slash subscribe to your Friday's bonus podcast. But this supporters club member is a top doctor, medical director at two orthopedic surgery centers. His wife was a fit model in France. So that's two of the three of the let's run trifecta, right? Salary of over two hundred thousand dollars and a model wife. Two hundred thousand? I thought it used to be one hundred thousand. I guess inflation has changed the requirements. Biden presidency, John. Hundred thousand dollars is the new two hundred. That's a joke, people. Oh wait, John. So everyone, read this email, but just just you might want to discount it. This guy writes, puts his five kpr on his email. Only seventeen oh two. Mile PR four thirty nine, and he writes. I'm a complete fucking failure. No, sir. It's okay. It's okay. Yours, those are pretty super shoes. If you had the shoes, you'd probably be sub 14, sub four. Anyways, let me get to the email. I almost read it on last week's show, but I had to send a couple of follow-up emails. Regarding Donovan's injury, as a physician, I'm not surprised. The tibial fracture was a distal fracture that needed pinning and plating. Typically, these start out as small stress fractures, but increased training load then progresses to a fractural. Distal fractures are worse than proximal, meaning the closer the ankle, the worse it is to fix. It's also worse if it's anterior versus posterior. I think it was anterior, but I'm not certain. The sum of good news is Donovan seems to recover from this surgery. However, when the muscles and tendons respond to an injury, they contract and tighten up. This can put added stress on other muscles and tendons, such as his Achilles. As he increased his training load, the Achilles tightened up and was irritated by the bony deformity called Haglund's. It's also possible that the, during the healing phase of the injury, his biomechanics were off just enough to make the Haglund's a greater issue. To fix this, they went in to shave down the Haglund's deformity in hopes it was to stop, <laughs> in hopes that it stops the heel hurting and inflaming the Achilles. It appeals this initially worked, but as that area heals, his body continues to build up collagen and fibrous tissue so that the scar tissue is irritating the Achilles as much as the bony deformity was. The buildup of the scar tissue also causes its own local reaction. For example, if your kid skins his knee and a scab forms, it can come off and then need to be, then need to scab again. Sometimes it just comes off and it's smooth. Other times it comes off and it bleeds again. In the scap forms. Apparently, the scap scar for Donovan keeps coming back as rough, so any tendon running is irritated. The good news is the guarantee is the best physicians in Denver, and they're using all of the top techniques. I'm sure he's done plate and rich therapy and every trick in the book. And they're also looking at his biomechanics. I'd like to think Nike would have all the answers for that. I wish nothing more for Donovan to return to his top form, but recurring ankle. Achilles injuries are not a good sign. So sounds like everything's pretty serious. This scabbing could keep coming. I almost read it last week, but John said, hey, 
does he know that the surgery on one time was on the one leg and now it's on the other leg? So does all that tightening stuff still make sense? So I wrote him back to make sure that you know nothing gets by Jonathan Galt, John. Right, which leg was which, John? I believe the broken foot he had at the 2021 trials was his left foot and the Haglins was his right foot. So he wrote back when I asked him about that and this email kind of disturbed me a little bit because this was the guy last year he told me after the first surgery. He's like, this is a major surgery. You can't just assume he'll be back. He says, about the different sides of the surgery, it doesn't really change much. The reality is the fact is his body is not responding to the increased level of training intensity. The stress from the tibial fracture does not directly affect the other foot, but the compensatory muscle contraction of the back and the quads do cause slight changes in alignment that will leave the other side more vulnerable to injury. It looks like overuse injuries in a young elite runner that even the best physicians and physical therapists in the U.S. cannot seem to calm down. Could he recover? Yes. But with the available evidence and recurring inflammation and scar tissue, the odds are that he will not be able to sustain the increased load of training to be a champion on the world stage. Let me repeat that. The odds are that he will not be able to sustain the increased load of training to be a champion on the world stage. Tragic, yes. But luck and durability is a necessary to be elite. That was kind of depressing, guys. Now, I follow this guy on the Let's Run forum. If you're a supporters club member, you can follow people. He actually posted on a random thread. Somebody had a surgery and was not recovering well today, or maybe it was last night. And this person, he's like, you had the exact same surgery Donovan Brazier did. And there he was like reminding this guy the same thing that the doctor told me. He's like, you might have pain for a full year. So I, I asked him that. I said, what about the year? You know, the full year. Me, it hurt for 11 months and three weeks. He's like, yeah, it takes a year. But every time they go in and have to operate again, it just makes me more nervous. I'm a huge Donovan fan, but this is concerning. So I'm more optimistic than the doctor because to me, one year was good. I think they just went in to do this second surgery, this third surgery, try to speed it up. If by September he's not running well, though, that's going to concern me. Yeah, I mean, we saw this with Jake Riley and Galen Rupp had the same Hagland surgery, and it took them both a year, in Galen's case, more than a year to get right. Because remember, he had the surgery in October 2018, comes back in the 2019 Chicago Marathon, he thinks he's ready to go, he's not, he has to drop out. But then by the trials in February 2020, he's good to go again. But then Sean McGordy had his surgery after the 2021, sorry, after 2021 season, he comes back, he makes the world's team in the 10,000 in 2022. So he recovered more quickly. Brazier, yeah. If Brazier's going to get back to his top level, my guess would be it's in 2024 when he's had more time to heal from this Hagland surgery. But I, our doctor friend, I think he's also got a point here, Robert. The 800's a more explosive event. You're putting more force into the ground, especially the way Donovan runs it in than the marathon or the 10K. And the problem is a lot of these guys, I think we've said it before, like Wade Van Nieker, when he blew out his knee, okay, different injury, but it's the same sort of thing. When you have a sort of major injury in a power event, it's very hard to get back to that top level. And even Donovan Brazier, like he ran 142.3 in 2019. Even if he was totally healthy, staying at that level, 
is already tough. And now getting back to that level when you haven't been there in a few years, yeah, it's going to be difficult. But we just, you know, he's been saying all he wants is a chance. All he wants is to be able to get back to his old self and give himself a chance to see that, how he stacks up against everyone when he's healthy. That's all I want, too. I feel bad for the guy. He's one of America's greatest ever middle distance talents. He's been sidelined. I just want to see a healthy Donovan Brazier out there. But yeah, are we going to get that? Who knows? But I think all he wants is a chance comment was him telling you he wants a chance for this year, Hungary. I would not rush it for that about him. No, that's that's not the way I read it. I talked to him. He said he's going to take it. Like, if he gets the USAs, yes, he's going to feel like, okay, I, I want to make this team this year. But to me, he did seem to have the thing like, I want to return as quickly as I can. But if that is not until you know the end of 2023 or early 2024, in terms of like competing at a top level, I, I don't think he's going to try to rush it. I think that's the one thing he's learned through all these injuries the last couple of years is 2022, what did him in? Part, well, it was partly because, hey, we've got a home world championships. I have to be ready to go. I have to run one round of USAs in June, and then I have to be ready by July 15th when world starts and he had this deadline. He doesn't have that this year because like, yeah, the world championships, that's something he'd like to run, but he doesn't, I don't feel, think feel the same urgency to be ready for USA's and worlds this year as he would in 2022 when they had a home world championships or in 2021 when it's your one Olympic shot every four years. John, you talked about this being a power event and all this other stuff. Maybe I'm seeing this wrong because other people on, like we had a video up on Donovan a couple weeks ago and this commenter on YouTube said he's a big, powerful athlete and, and to get back is very difficult. I remember when Co had injuries, but he was a light little runner with pure raw speed, which remained. Well, first of all, Donovan Brazier's faster than Seb Co. I think I'd bet a lot of money. In what on event? That. What event? Huh? Not the 800. The 400. Pure speed. I mean, yeah. Is he? Maybe a little, I guess. But Donovan's not that big of a dude, right, John? He just looks big compared to these other guys. Emmanuel Career is much bigger than him. I don't think that's true. Okay. But would you rather have this injury as an 800 runner or as a marathoner? He can get by training a lot less than a marathoner. Like, he can, he could probably do some of his endurance stuff on an anti-G. Like how, I guess if you, if that's what he was doing. Ex- well, then he was trying to do his training on an ultra G in the fall. And even that was too much. Okay. I'm just, I agree with you. Donovan Brasia does not need a, as much volume as a marathoner does. But the problem is he hasn't even been able to get that his last few years. Because look at the power, the true power sports, NFL football, those things, sprinting even. Those guys have major knee surgeries, major shit, and they're all back fine. I think the pounding of distance running, the cumulative pounding, like, it's so unique, right? You're going out there, you're pounding for 30 minutes, even if you just do a 30-minute jog. Whereas most, I feel like most guys, John, serious NFL injuries, blah, 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 power sports, they're... No one even thinks about it anymore. When's the last time someone was like had their career really injured in the NFL? Most of them always come back. I feel like eighty plus percent probably. Maybe yeah, I more. think. Well, Alex, even Alex Smith had that gruesome leg injury and he came back, but he's not really relying on 
power as much. But we've talked about this before. In the NFL, you don't have to be 100% of what you were. If you're 90%, you're pretty good. If you're 90% in track and field, you're trash. For the record, while you guys were talking, I muted myself and asked Jonathan Galt, what was Seb Coe's 400 speed? He's like, oh, I think his PB was 46.86 or 46.87, unprompted. And for the record, it is 46.87. You asked John Kellogg, not me. I was talking to Weldon. John Kellogg. And Donovan Brazier's 146.14 indoors. So he is faster. Coe's apparently split some 45s and some relays. But... Okay, moving from one U.S. 800-meter world champion to another, we're a little late on this, but a thing Mo was on the Pivot podcast, which is hosted by former NFL players Fred Taylor, Ryan Clark, and Channing Crowder. She made an appearance on March 17th, and I thought it was really interesting. A thing kind of reminds you she's... She's good at this in the media. She, she's been in the spotlight from an early age. She's still only 20 years old, but I found it to be a compelling interview. I thought she was not... She was fairly open with them, and I thought they established her rapport quickly. I enjoyed listening to it, but there were a few quotes from this that really caught my eye. And part of it is she hasn't done a ton of media since last year's world championships she wins that race thrilling duel in the home straight against keely hodgkinson and then doesn't run at all that the rest of the season doesn't run at all indoors this season we haven't really had the opportunity to talk to her and she's undergone all these changes she switched coaches from milton mallard to bobby kersey and she moved out to los angeles to join his training group she changed agencies from wes felix to Alliance Sports, which is a company that only represents NFL athletes apart from a thing Mo and Brandon Miller, her boyfriend. So those were both interesting changes, but then they talked about so they talked about a lot of things. They didn't go into all the details about changing coaches, that sort of thing. But a few details that stood out to me. One, she mentioned she'd been carrying an injury at the 2022 World Championships on this podcast. They didn't go into details about what it was. She had intimated at the time something might have been wrong or that there was some issue. It wasn't easy for her. I didn't know exactly what that meant. But now we know she was hurt. And Robert, that probably explains why she didn't race at all the rest of the season, I would guess. If you were injured at Worlds, that to me, I can understand why you wouldn't go to Europe and keep pushing it, you would want to just heal. No doubt. For the record, didn't we bring this up on a podcast before? Because I swear you've told me that before. And I remember you using that same language. I tried to look it up. Apologize if we're repeating ourselves. Told you what? Thought we brought up the fact that a thing Mo was on the Pivot Podcast. We may have brought it up, but we haven't talked about some of these comments she made. Because... I thought some of the stuff was really interesting, but then one of the things was that she's considered quitting running three times in recent years. One of those was in the pandemic summer of 2020. She just graduated high school and she mentioned that, you know, she didn't have a high school team. She ran for the Trenton track club, which she'd been running for since she was six years old. And once she graduated, she'd been going to all these races, 
mostly by herself or herself and a couple of coaches. She'd been racing pros since junior year of high school, maybe even earlier. She didn't have that team experience that so many athletes have either in high school or college. Even Caitlin Tui, she gets to run the DMR in high school. Drew Hunter, he ran the DMR in high school. I think Mo didn't have that. And it just wasn't fun for her. She was pushing herself. She was training just alone over the summer. She'd been alone for a while in the sport. And then once she got to Texas A&M, that was really what revitalized things. But she essentially said that was the the game changing one of the game changing moments that continue, convinced her to continue in the sport. That and also she put in all this effort since she was six years old, and you know now she was really starting to see big gains, and she didn't want to just have that effort go to waste and her give up on the sport. Well, that's interesting to me. And that concerns me. Why? Because she's no longer on a team. I, I, it's easy to get lost as a pro. I mean, Weldon was trained by himself. We didn't have a group. But that's why in 2000 for the trials, I moved out there to try to train with him. I mean, he lived a lot of times just alone in Flagstaff, which I think can be hard to do. To have the team structure, give you something to do, I just think it makes it a lot easier. You don't have to question like, no, I guess he's got Bobby Kersey and there's other pros there. So he's got a group which helps. You're not just a total free agent. But. Yeah, I do, I disagree that there's, she doesn't have a team. They're branding themselves as Formula Kersey and she's got Brandon Miller, who she's obviously very close with. He's with her at a lot of these workouts and going to races. It's not, you don't have the entire team like at Texas A&M, but I think this is seems like a different experience for her than it was in high school. But just the concept, I didn't realize she wasn't on the high school team in high school. Like, I don't know. Call me old-fashioned. Like, I'm seeing Leo and Lex Young. They've quit their high school teams. They're running just for Sean Brosnan and around doing these open meets and flying all over the country. Is it really necessary? I mean, I, I can say that about so much of modern society. Like, is it really necessary that USC and UCLA are going to be in the Big Ten? Weldon and I were talking about this. And they're going to be flying to, like, Maryland to, to play a field hockey game on a Friday. Like you could just play locally. Like you could just run your high school season. I know you're not going to run as fast, but you have your college or pros to, to go all out. Like, I don't know. I, I just, uh, well, it's going to work the other way time. too, right now too, right? Maryland's going to fly to USC for a field hockey game. It's so stupid. Could, could they just do football and basketball and keep the other sports in a different conference? I don't know. That's a whole different conversation. I, look, I'm not really going to question the development of an athlete who has had just nothing but success in the sport, who was a U.S. champion at 16 and an Olympic champion at 19. I mean, there are different paths to, to success, but I can't I think it's not like they screwed her up. She turned out pretty well. Right, but a few big things to take away from this. One, she's been doing this since she was seven, right? Six, I believe. Six. Oh, that's a big difference. And you know, when she talks about the three times she wanted to quit, who knows what that really means. But so that's number one. Number two, this is a huge year for her. It's a big change from going from college to being out of college. The environment, training. So sure, she has a team, but it's a completely different team. Pivotal year. Let's see what happens. Apart from the whole new coaching setup and all that stuff, Bobby Kersey's never really coached a pure 800 meter runner. I mean, she's a 400 runner, but whatever. 
And number three, she's still 20 years old. Like she's figuring out her, like not even figuring out her life. Like she's just a total kid, man. So she says this stuff and she may retire. I think John wants to touch on some of these quotes about retirement, but she's 20. Most people that are 20 don't even want to know what they want to do with their lives. And she's already world and Olympic champion and undefeated as a professional at 100 meters. Oh yeah. Maybe, I mean, yeah, maybe she gets to next year and she thinks totally differently, but the, retirement thing she didn't come out and say i'm going to retire but what was very clear is that she has a passion for modeling that's something she's really wanted to do since she was 11 years old got a clip john i'll play it modeling is 100 percent in my eyes view i i honestly i don't know if i should say this i make jokes all the time about me retiring like within the next two years and just like going to walk the runway. But I would love to go walk on the runway, do editorial shoots. I would love to do anything in the fashion world. When I was like maybe 11 or 10, I remember myself walking in the kitchen and doing like a catwalk. That was, it was, it was outrageous, but like it was the best thing. I have been committed to being a model since I was super young. Look, that doesn't disturb me. No offense to any models out there that are listening to the podcast, but how hard is it to be a model? Like we started Let's Run because you can't run all day. And we were running 120, 130, 140 miles a week. When you're an 800 meter runner and you're running like 20 miles a week, you've got a lot of damn free time. So she could pretty much sit there and let them take pictures of her or walk and occasionally smile and then figure out a way to train for an hour or do it in the off season when she's not running cross country or indoors, which she hasn't been doing. So there's plenty of time for that. And it is crazy how young she is. I'll say the same thing about her. As I said about Jakob Ingebrigtsen, who said the same thing. Well, I don't know how long I'm going to do this, blah, blah, blah. There's no chance in hell that either one of them walks away until they're to the, to the 2028 Olympics. I mean, we're almost there. She's living in LA. She's going to get, I don't care what, this is a pivotal year because Kersey hasn't coached 800, but she's going to get motivated for the Olympics next year, no matter what, it's the Olympics. And then you've got LA Olympics. She lives in LA. And if you want to be a model, hell, she can be just the runner model. Like that's the easiest way for her to model is people will put her in magazines because she's famous, like Serena Williams on these covers. You build your brand like that. She becomes a Serena Williams of track and field. Yeah, the people who just model on their own, Robert, you said, how hard can it be? They seem, half of them, or majority of them seem miserable. They talk about the pressure. And, well, I don't know. Being objectified for your body is one way that can easily take on. I, th I think if anyone can handle it, it's sort of a fun side gig. It's a thing. So, Yeah, because she's always a beat. And I didn't mean like how hard, like mentally, like, yeah, to, to, the, the stereotypical Kate Moss, you know, anorexic model look is hard to do, but now we're into big and beautiful or whatever. It doesn't matter. There was all types of different uh, models out there. All right. I'll play another clip related to this. So for you, when is it going to be enough and what's going to tell you it's okay to hang the spikes up? 
when I have no time to run track because I'm modeling too much. <laughs> That's literally it. I mean, I don't know, just checking off my goals. I checking off my goals. I think I am definitely happy with what I've done so far, but there are some more things that I want to get done. So if I do get a chance to accomplish these goals, like win a double at a world championships or, you know, whatever the case may be, I think realistically, because I know that there is something else I want to do, I would be okay with letting it go a little sooner than, you know, maybe someone else would. Uh, and because I've been running for so many years, um, then I believe that I would be absolutely fine with just taking the next step to do, you know, another career or, you know, be part of the sport as an ambassador or something. See, I found that clip very revealing. Robert says there's no chance she would retire before 2028. I'm not so sure about that. Because if you imagine, let's say she does the 400-800 this year at Worlds, wins both of them. And next year she wins the Olympics again in the 800 and she breaks the world record. Like If she just checks off all of those goals, she'll have completed track and field, essentially. Or at least in the 800, you know? There's nothing else for her to do, which would be insane because she'd be 21 or 22. It's kind of like Sydney McLaughlin Lavroni, right? She has essentially completed the 400 hurdles. So she needs to go and find new challenges in other events. That would be similar to what we'd see with Mo in the 800. Again, this is a woman who's never lost a professional 800. Now, things could be totally different if she starts taking some losses. Maybe she wants to stick around a long, little longer. But if she continues on the progression she's on and she starts getting all these goals... Yes, I could see her just hanging it up. It's, I think it's partially also going to be dependent if some modeling agency comes to her and handles, hands her some contracts and says, hey, we'd love you to do this full time after the 2024 Olympics. Yeah, maybe she takes that. But if she doesn't get that offer, then I think as Weldon said, maybe the best way for her to get these modeling opportunities is to remain in the sport and to continue winning because then other brands, magazines, they're going to want to have a successful athlete like her out there pushing some of these things. So she switched to Adidas. Doesn't Adidas kind of do runways and stuff like that? And did I say she could win three Olympics? Did I already say this? She'd be 26. It's crazy. But there's no way she retires at 22, John. This is going to come back to bite me. Well, I guess if she got the world record, pulls the double this year. This is John, she has to pull the double this year and get the world record and get the Olympics and then just retire before the home Olympics at 22. No, I don't think it happens. But I've been pro- proven wrong once or twice on this podcast before. She may not be the best 400 meter runner in her own group. We're just handling the, John's handling the double to both I'm her I'm not and handling it too, huh? I'm Only saying one if of she them does can win that. It. And it's quite convenient that she and Sydney have never lost a, four, a professional 800 or 400 hurdles. I know Sydney's lost one, but they never run them also. So it, it makes it a lot easier to never lose one when you only run like four or five a year. I just think you guys, you're not listening to what she's saying. Like she has been, okay, she's only been a professional since the summer of 2021, but she's been running professional type schedules since 2019 when she was a junior in high school. And she's been running since she was six years old as part of the Trenton Track Club. Like, that's a long time in the sport. Now, she hasn't been at the very, very elite, but she's been doing all these age group nationals. Like, she's been in doing running for 
15 years at this point. And to her, it suddenly sounded like from that conversation, you know, that it's starting to feel like it's taking a long time. And also, Robert, you didn't listen to the whole podcast. You're saying, oh, how much time up can modeling take? That sort of thing. She said she spends a lot of time in training in track and field and she doesn't really have time to fit in modeling apart from, you know, maybe your New York Fashion Week. She, this is her words, Robert. You might be skeptical, but she said she doesn't really have time to be a full-time model at the moment She's because track takes so much time in her schedule. Okay, guys, I have a challenge for you. Tell me the last time a thing well lost an 800-meter race. USA Indoors 2020. Correct, John. There's no way Robert knew that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Robert, you're saying this authoritatively. Did you look this up or you just... I, I, like, I was going to say, like, I know she lost a race right at the beginning of COVID. Like, I, then I'm like, oh, wait, was that a 600 that she lost? I knew she lost some race at that time because we've talked about this before. Do you guys remember anything about the race? I am assuming RJ Wilson won because she always wins. It, it was USA Indoors in Albuquerque, right? 2020. I don't remember details about the race, though. John, that was good. That was good. That's why, like, Jeopardy needs you. You did some, like, is it induct deductive reasoning? I don't know what it was. RJ Wilson did win, but this was a prelim. Wait, she didn't make Wilson the final? Yeah, Ajay Wilson ran 204.86. A thing mode just starts fading, fading, fading. She ran 214.18. I don't think we need to laugh. I mean, she was a high, she was a high schooler at the time. I know she won this USA the 600 the year before. Um, it's quite a fade, but I don't know. Sometimes high schoolers have bad races. I'm just saying it's crazy that this. I think this shows how much she benefited from the Olympics being postponed. She's never lost since, but, and she's still 20 years old. I mean, it's just stunning. And it's a lot. It's Olympic champion, worlds, worlds, Olympics, worlds. What she should do is in 2026, if she's still operating at a high level, take the year off, you know, keep running. It's not like she just do not stop running, but just, you know, and, and try the modeling, see if you miss it. I bet you get bored with the modeling. Come back. Also, she's 20. I mean, if you're a superstar name and oh, she needs to be a double Olympic champion, whatever, you can still get paid. Currently, she still gets paid a lot more for running track and field. Right, that's what I'm saying. If she gets some big significant modeling offer after the 2024 Olympics, maybe she takes it. But if she doesn't have the opportunities and she's got a nice fat Nike contract and she keeps getting these American record bonuses or world championship bonuses, yeah, it would probably be foolish to leave that behind for no guarantees. But I, I think kind of, I don't know, is she some big modeling prospect or is this just something she really wants to do? I don't, I don't know where she fits in in that world. Well, Sid, I'll thank, people are going to get mad at me mansplaining this. Keep going. If you want to take 2026 off, that's fine. 2028, go down in history, win five or six Olympics. Then take a year off for a child. You can be the child model too. 
I mean, the mother model too. John's rolling his eyes. You're telling someone how to live their life. How about she does what she wants, Robert? She doesn't owe us anything. It'd be great to see her running track and field. I like watching her race, but you don't have to tell a woman how to oh, live her see? life. Oh, there we go. But John, there we go. He can tell he can tell Jakob Ingebrigtsen how to live his life, but if he does it to a woman, it's a huge problem. He's, he's, Robert treats everybody the he's same. He's saying when she should take a year off from the sport he's saying when she should have a baby like this is yeah. just not his decision to make at all she's not young, young people if you're childless i didn't want to hear this either i love being a parent i almost missed out on an opportunity if you're going to have a parent you want to have the child particularly if you're going to have biological children as a woman under before the age of 35 so i'm just telling you that we can deny biology i know it's in it's in right now to deny die to deny biological facts but that would be a fun side gig. Have a kid, if you, you know, whatever. People don't want to. They don't. Oh my! I, I didn't like the pressure. I remember in my twenty late twenties. Oh, I need to try to find a partner. Blah blah. blah. Uh, you can't have your cake and eat it too, folks. Biology is real. Biology. But um, now we can't even put this clip on YouTube because we'll get canceled. Just take that part out then. And so we're just assuming she never loses an eight hundred. Kiwi Hutchinson. Just forget that she came within like inches of beating her last year. I'm not assuming anything, but we don't know how she's even going to react to losing because that's not something she's had to deal with. Like maybe that lights a fire and she says, screw this. I'm going to stay in the sport. Or like if she goes to the Olympics in 2024 and loses, maybe she'll be like, damn, I, I haven't owned this event the way I thought I have. I'm going to stick it out and show everyone I'm the best. We're not really sure how she's going to react because there was a telling anecdote in this podcast. She said she only was, lost one race all of 2021. It was the NCAA Indoor Championships in the 400, and she said she did not react well. She was swearing afterwards. She kind of blacked out. Like That's not something she's had to deal with very much. Well, at all in the 800. Um, as a professional, I think she has lost a... I mean, she's lost the mile at Milrose when she dropped out. So that's also going to be interesting. If she loses this year, how does she respond if she loses the Olympics? But, you know, that's TBD. Well, yeah, when she lost the mile, John, she didn't react very well either with that one. So maybe she'll never lose. And one thing that's different these days with social media and stuff, it's easier to make money just from being famous. So, like, you know, an Anna Kornikova or somebody like that, she still kept playing tennis. And she never, Anna Kornikova never was at the level that a thing Mo was, right? That's a No, not even close. So, but if somebody wants to like transition to just sort of being famous and modeling, it's probably easier to make a, a living doing that these days. But I think Mo already has two major accomplishments to back it up. But there's so much more she can do in this sport. I think some of this talk is premature. But she's not famous enough yet, Weldon. She's not like Michael Phelps, or one of these people. So hopefully everyone can still hear me and I haven't been canceled from that previous segment. I'm not sure what's controversial about trying to save the human race by telling everyone to have children, John. Speaking of children, Texas runner girl and Nike man, two famous posters. They met on Let's Run. They are the proud parents of twin. Weldon, their names, please. Lily and Grayson, both five pounders. 
twins. I mean, what, what, this is perfect, right? These are the first children we know of Let's Run.com. There was a previous marriage in Let's Run.com that didn't work out. But to our knowledge, these are the first people who have produced offspring from having met on Let's Run.com. And the fact they're twins, congrats to Stephanie and Dave. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. They're both great people, uh, both Dave and Stephanie. But the fact that it's twins, you guys are twins, that just blows my mind. There's been no confirmation that their middle names are Robert and Weldon. When Rich Cannot had children, it was in the early days of Let's Run.com. He also had twins. This is the former Olympian world championship medalist who's now the head of the Atlantic Truck Club. I think I jokingly offered him, I mean, not jokingly, I probably would have paid up $1,000. I didn't have much money back then to name the children Robert and Weldon, even though one of them was female. But he didn't take us up on the offer. I think that middle names are both MF. Am I correct? John, it's okay for John to make crude jokes about somebody's middle name, but Robert suggests someone try to have a child. Wow, crude jokes. Yeah, Robert's worried about the Earth, which we just passed 8 billion people. Population clearly not an issue. (laughs) The population rate, global population rate has been going up nonstop for like 100 years, but Robert's worried that we're going to run out of, uh, the human race is going to go extinct. Who knew that common sense was so controversial? Speaking of common sense being so controversial, on Friday's podcast, John brought up the topic. I didn't. I did not bring up the topic, and I wasn't even really excited to talk about it. I think it was because I was sick. But World Athletics last week did change their transgender and DSD, DSD regulations. Remember the name? Yeah. So basically, and on the transgender issue, they went farther than expected. They just announced an outright ban of competing. You need to compete in the sex of your birth if you've gone through puberty. And I didn't really celebrate this. I'm mean, like, and, and since then, there's been some crazy sh- uh, stuff happening with people in New Zealand who are attacked for saying that, a, you know, biology is real. So I guess I should have celebrated more. Thank you, Sepco, for doing the right thing here. Because originally there was going to be that you need to have this many nanoliters and this and that. And this is common sense. And I I just think that it's good for women's sports to have this rule. So that's all I really want to say. And I, I, if I, I, to be honest though, John, if I wanted to go also one other thing, which is probably controversial, I would go farther. I used to think we should allow trans athletes, even at the children's youth to do the opposite sex. Someone on Twitter pointed out to me, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, trans athletes are not barred for sports. Everybody can compete in the sex of their birth. The sex, not the gender. We just explain, hey, people, sex, uh, sports is based on sex. And I think for young kids, you should still do the sex of your birth because otherwise you're going to get up to high school and have to switch teams. And it's going to be very confusing and more traumatic than if you just started on the same team. I guess, but the big thing here is that as it refers to, as it affects elite sport, I think they've come to the right conclusions. Now, the interesting thing is some people are like, well, wait, they're basing this decision, even though there's, they say they don't have that much science on trans athletes at the highest level, but that's, I mean, to me, this is the common sense solution. And they've just said, just because they don't have a lot of transgender athletes competing at the very highest level of the sport, 
doesn't mean that this rule is incorrect. I just think it just means that there aren't a lot of trans athletes competing in the women's category and trying the field. John, you've been reading too much NPR. That was the NPR tweet that's been mocked in conservative circles. Like, yeah, like, like, what do you mean we don't have a lot of evidence? Like, we have every men's world, re- every biological male's world record is ten to twelve percent faster than every female biological female's. Sorry, world record. sorry. I should clarify what I'm saying is that yes, I this this NPR thing popped up in my feed a lot, and to clarify what they're saying, they don't have evidence specifically related to what elite transgender athletes have done you know we obviously have common sense we have that male male and female records are very different that's why i'm saying the rules make sense it's just we don't have you know there's no case study of this one transgender athlete started competing in the women's category and winning all these races the other thing though the dsd news again we talked about this on the supporters club podcast in more detail on friday if you want to hear that discussion let's run.com slash subscribe but the dsd ones are going to have a more pressing impact on the sport of track and field because we already had dsd athletes competing in the women's category and excelling in the women's category first it was the 800 meters then they changed those rules in 2019 restricted dsd women from competing in the 400 through the mile and then you had women like christina boma or beatrice masalingi or Amanatu Saini, they all moved down and they started having success as sprinters and Boma won a silver medal in the 2021 Olympics. And then you also had Francine Nianzaba move up and started winning races. She was a Diamond League champion in the 5,000 meters in 2021. And we pointed out that those athletes' success, that kind of actually ended up providing the scientific data World Athletics needed to expand this policy across all events because it showed their advantage wasn't just limited to this narrow range. The testosterone levels also helped in the longer distances. And our main takeaway there was we can agree that World Athletics made the correct rule on this decision. Now the limit is now 2.5 nanomoles per milliliter. Sorry, 2.5 nanomoles per liter. You have to have your testosterone level below that for 24 months before you can compete in the women's category. And these restrictions apply to all events, not just the 400 the mile. You can feel that these restrictions are appropriate and necessary while also having sympathy for someone like Francine Nsaba, who has been told three or four times in her career now, oh, actually, no, these are the rules. These are what you, this is what you have to do to compete. Oh, you can't run that event, that sort of thing. Especially after... 2019, she totally reinvents herself. She takes risks and starts training for an event she's never done before, starts having success, and now they're saying, actually, you can't run that event either. I'm sure that's incredibly frustrating, and I really admire everything she's gone through, but I also think she does have this clear advantage, and the rules, the new rules are appropriate. I agree. Uh, I feel great sympathy, personal sympathy, empathy for, for Francine. I mean, this is a woman that Moved from Rwanda to America to be great. She had a dream. Then she couldn't run the 800 anymore, and she moved up to the 10,000. She trained hard. She made herself into a distance runner. And now her career basically is instantly squashed. That's why there's some belief that she's been tipped off about this, and that's why she's not running as well. She already started lower stuff. I think she. I think these current athletes should be grandfathered in. If as long as they go below 2.5, I don't think they're going to be competitive at that level either. That they should be allowed to compete just because. You're changing the game midstream for them, so I feel bad for them. 
I hope Nike stands by her and, and, and pays her. Wait, Robert, to clarify here, you're saying she should be allowed to compete if she lowers her levels, or you should just she should be allowed to compete without lowering her levels at all? No, lower the levels. I mean, I, I just I, I don't think that X Y people with, with male level testosterone should be in women's sports. That to me is an easy call, but to me that's a, it's a harder case than the trans case. But I just feel like she kind of got a raw deal, and I thought she got a raw deal at the last Olympics. They basically just didn't want her in there and just made up an excuse that she stepped on the line and tossed her out. And I was the only one that tried to, to defend her. Ever, Mr. Transphobe, people think I'm a transphobe. Nope, I was defending Francine the inside, but the rest of the world was didn't even know she was in the Olympics. Well, Robert, the rules say she, if she lowers, any DSD athlete who lowers the levels can't compete, so that, that's not making an exception for her. You have to lower it for 24 months, which would they've act, her out. They've said for athletes that are already competing in these events, though, that you can... If you lower it for six months, you can compete. So she's eligible to compete again as long as her levels have been below that for six months. Okay, great then. Great, good. And Robert alluded to this. I said this on the Supporters Club podcast. I'll say it here because there's more people listening to this one. Nike better not reduce her or anything. Honor her contract. This is a company that claims to support women. Francine Nianzawa did nothing you know, to sort of get screwed over by these rules. I mean... If you can't have, I think she has an unfair advantage in sport, but at the same time, I still find her very admirable what what she's been through. So, don't just cut her contract because she's not hitting the performance levels. No, her story is a terrific one in terms of perseverance, and that's something. If you're at Nike, I think that's something you can sell. You say, "Look at this. This is one of the look at all these obstacles that have been thrown in her path, and look how she's constantly overcome them in her career." I think to me that's something it's one of the most interesting stories we have in our sport and look yeah she was benefiting from these male levels of testosterone but you know she's still it's one of the more interesting careers we've had uh and certainly taking out the distance events I mean when she did that when she just essentially the pandemic hit and she just spent 2020 training to move up to run distance events. I, I had no idea how it was going to end up. And she made herself into one of the best in the world. That That's pretty incredible. And I'll tell you what, world athletics really sort of got lucky that none of those 200 sprinters won gold in 2020 or 2021. And that Nian Salva got a stress fracture last year because she was undefeated in the track. She could have won one or two. I mean, I'm not sure she would have, but she could have been a world champion. Oh, Nian Saba got hurt and Mboma got hurt last year as well. Uh, and would she have beaten Sharika Jackson? I don't think so with her running 21-5. But, and then, I, you know, there are, I believe the number has been there is 13 DSD athletes who have been competing either in the sprints or the distances. There might be one or two other athletes who have not been publicly identified as DSD who could be affected as well. I wouldn't be surprised to see oh, if that's the case. But this is big news in the steeplechase. That's all I'm going to say. Women's steeplechase. Emma Coburn's medal chances just went way, way up. All right, let's talk about this crazy 48-hour record run. Over the weekend in Australia, former Let's Run.com message board poster Camille Heron. What was her screen name? Weldon Jaguar or something? Her screen name is Jaguar One. And Robert, you're not giving her due. She's a supporters club member. 
the supporters club, we pretty much dominate the ultra running. Maybe we should rebrand the club because. Second world record set by a supporters club member in the women's ultra scene. Second. Robert, well, Camille set multiple records. She now has the 24 hour world record, the 48 hour world record, the hundred mile world record. She crushed this record this weekend. She was the 48 hour record. She ran. 435 kilometers, 270.5 miles around a 400-meter track in Australia. She beat the old record by over 15 miles. She beat the American men's record. She averaged 10 minutes and 39 seconds per mile for the whole entire time, including sleeping. 148 hours miles the first 24 hours, 122 the second day. Only two men have ever run faster. So we have her well, in the supporters club. We have Des Linden in the supporters club. I think we have like a men's. What do we have, John? We have multiple, like a guy who's dominating for the men as well. Can I make a correction? Plenty of men have run, no, no one runs faster for 48 hours well than everybody runs the same amount of time. He meant to say two men have run farther. She beat the American men's record by 44, almost 44 kilometers. Which is crazy. I think we got to discuss. Like, if you break a world record, the supporters club becomes free. We can't keep charging these people. I think Des Linden and her should be grandfathered in. Why supporters club members? Maybe we'll start a thread. How how should these people get lifetime memberships? Should we make them re up every year? You know, keep earning it. You have to do something. I don't like the, the sexist term grandfathered for two women. It should be grandmothered in. Oh and I think Robert that... Robert Johnson, woke warrior. I think that perhaps since she keeps defying, you know, life-defying things, we don't make it a lifetime membership. We should just make it a 435-year membership. One year for every kilometer that she runs. So if she's still here in about 500 years, defying expectations... Jeez. Having to pay. Now, John, you compared this to the men's world record, right? It's about 10%. Is that the gap? It's 89% of the men's world record. The men's record is 473 kilometers. By Giannis Chorus. Although, you got to point out, though, Giannis Chorus did not have these super shoes. Now, we may do a podcast with Camille soon. We were trying to have her on today, but she's in Australia, so it didn't work out well. But now know how much the super shoes are worth because over the weekend, Weldon and John may not have caught this. I was reading race results weekly today. The Spanish 10,000 meter champions were held and former triathlete Paula Herrero ran two, just two weeks after setting a road 10K national record of 31.23. Guess what she ran on the track, John? Well, before you answer, I'm going to take you logically through this. Do you think she Wait. ran faster on the track or slower on the track? Than she what did she on ran the on the track when? Her lifetime PR in one specific race? How many years ago? What do you mean? She ran on the roads two weeks ago, 31-23 in the bouncy shoes. Now she's got to go to a track and run in spikes. Which do you think would be faster? 
I'd say they're roughly, I mean, roughly equal. But in the year 2023, maybe the maybe the uh, super shoes are a little faster. Maybe 10 seconds faster. Oh, she ran 31:23 on the roads, and then two weeks later, she runs on the track, which in the back in the day used to be significantly faster than the roads. She runs 32:05. Now I don't know the conditions or whatnot, but this just got me thinking. Do I think that the road shoes are 42 seconds faster than the track shoes are for 10,000 meters? Absolutely not. But do I think that the road shoes might be faster than the track? Absolutely. And it certainly gets me thinking that all these American men and women that need to hit the 10,000 standards should be trying to do it on the roads because you can find a pack of Kenyans, a pack of Ethiopians to run with. You can sometimes find a partially aided course with wind. Do it on the roads, people. Do it on the roads. Oh, okay. Robert has actually emerged from what I thought was going to be a pointless discussion with a valid, sensible point. I agree with you, Robert. Someone like Wayne Kaladi this spring, I mean, unless she's going to go to Hengelo, which is, I guess that's probably a month out from USA, so maybe that's an option. But yeah, she wants to get the 10K stand-in for the Olympics or World Championships. Going to a road race makes a lot of sense to me. Plus, she may be better on the roads than, than the track anyways. It's not that some people get bored on the track. I mean, can you imagine? And I think Wadey may be a super responder to the road shoes. Some people may be better, you know, some people may respond more to the road shoes and the track shoes. But can you imagine, Camille, 1,088 laps? Like, how do we know they counted right, John? Like, is there a video and somebody has to I go back? I think they have a counter. Like, there's someone whose job is to do that. Well, I know, but what if they, I mean, you make one mistake out of 1,088 and the whole thing's about shit. She got Does the counter have to stay up all 48 hours as well? Like, are they just mainlining caffeine or do you sub in a counter for day two? I mean, the whole, it's a ridiculous, ridiculous performance because for me, if I could just stay awake 48 hours straight, that would be an accomplishment. I know she does take a few, like she calls them micro naps. They're like 10 minute naps. I think she took a 40 minute break after the first day because she was trying to qualify for the U.S. 24-hour team, which I think her time was faster. Her distance was good enough for her to do that. But like me watching her do this for the entire time she's awake, that would have been exhausting for me. Now that you're actually running the whole time, it was raining the first day. I mean, it's just it's cr- crazy. Ultra run is built different. Yeah, somebody looked at like the science of this. I mean, there's not like a weak run, is there? At some point, it'd be very detrimental to your health. I'm sure it's not great for your health, but like, I haven't heard of a 72-hour run. Have you guys? I feel like 48's it. No, no. They have a, the, the, the biggest thing in ultra running used to be the six-day run. Wasn't it six days, John? I don't know why it wasn't a week. On the sixth, because on the seventh day, he rested, Robert. Or maybe it was eight days. But there was a, well, no, no. There's a multi-run thing that Giannis Koros used to do. Well, what about the backyard ultra as well? That one they've done. the The record there is one hundred and one laps. So that's one hundred and one hours. That's five days, you know. And you you have a little hour. You have more time because you got once your lap is done, you have maybe twenty or thirty minutes. But you're not sleeping for more than a conse- you know more than like twenty or thirty minutes consecutively for five days in a backyard ultra the backyard ultra you can take a nap every 
hour. You only have to run one hour, one mile an hour, right? No, the the leg is, um, like four miles. Odd. Okay, never mind. We need Navy SEALs really to write us. So Navy SEALs who like have done sleep deprivation stuff or Army Rangers, whatever, British Special Forces, but the British guys aren't going to know enough about a bar in Boston to plan our party. So can you, when you booked a place for us for the get-together for the Boston Marathon, also update us about how long someone can go without sleep, that sort of stuff. Thank you. Yeah, this course is six... Day record is 638.999 miles. This comes out to be almost four and a half miles an hour for six days. I'm wondering if Camille, I probably shouldn't say this, but I was wondering if she ran more in 48 hours than I did all of last year. I hope not, because that would be I only average five miles a week. I point something. I pr- well then should we make a t-shirt with Rojo's it's just Rojo's face and below him is the line I probably shouldn't say this. I feel like that's a good life motto of Robert Johnson. Of course, John. But Robert makes the shirts here, so pr- probably won't get made. Robert, I heard a suggestion we need baseball caps. Let's run baseball caps. Can you get on that too? Oh, the, the most pressing issue is the onesies for Texas Runner Girl and Nike Man's kids. We need the let's run babies outfitted and let's run attire. So someone knit a onesie or figure out a way to order on or something like that. We need the let's run brand on these babies. And they should be free for supporters club members. Cause Robert, and that would show it's like the people who pledge, you know, like 1% to the environment we're showing, we're pledging to keeping the world going on. <laughs> Robert just showed his commitment to, to breeding. Wait, ro- yeah. What Robert, how about Robin gives out new onesies to every baby born on Earth as a thank you to their parents for having sex and continuing the human race? I mean, John, Elon Musk, some people, everyone used to think him as a very smart guy, and now he's w- waded into some political issues, and 50% of people no longer think he's smart, but he, he is a strong proponent of breeding, reproducing the human race. He thinks we're failing. Put those onesies in the queue behind the pom-pom hats that I was supposed to make two winners ago. The trucker hats. I like the onesie idea, and I thought about doing cute baby stuff, but I'm kind of opposed to these celebrities like pimping their kids out on Instagram and stuff, so I don't want to damage these kids psychologically. Maybe they're, one photo when they're, they're little. They're kids. Yeah, but... They're infants. They won't even know. By the time they grow out of a onesie, yeah, they won't know, still won't understand what the color blue is or something like that. I don't know. But didn't wait? Didn't the Nirvana baby? I feel like they just filed a lawsuit. They want royalties or something. I don't know. Well, somehow we've gone off way off topic to the Nirvana baby, baby and breeding and existential threats to humanity. Somehow, somehow we got to almost two hours on her week where there were no races <laughs> professional races of import uh we have cherry blossom at least this week that's the u.s 10 mile champs so we will have some results to discuss and then we're going to be close to boston i mean by the time we record next week we'll be less than two weeks out from boston start driving the hype machine 
Plus, all our Aussie visitors. We have the Australian champs, John, starting this weekend as well, or Thursday or something like that. But we need to, guys, let's give ourselves a round of applause. We we're afraid there was going to be nothing to talk about. We were, I looked up, now we may have been some pausing for some stuff, but I looked up and it said one hour. I thought we had just started. I was like, wow, this time flies when you're having fun. So, well good done, job. Well we done. didn't even talk about the Lamar Jackson situation. You know, there's so much other stuff to talk about. Yeah. Brighton in the FA Cup semifinals on London Marathon weekend. What a thrill that's going to be for the world. I mean, oh, so much good stuff coming down the pike. Oh, well, then can you read, just give people the who stayed to the very end that nugget, the email you got about someone praising you for your new microphone or something? Should it be Supporters Club only? No. If, if they're a regular su- listener and they're not part of the Supporters Club and they're at this far into the podcast, just give it to them for free. Well, then. Okay, we appreciate you listening. If you listen this long, you really on uh, this week, you really probably would like the supporters club. Now that we're putting a few clips on YouTube here and there. Someone commented about my Princess Leah headphones. So I last week started wearing Bluetooth headphones. They noticed on YouTube, this YouTube commenter triple twelve thirty-five posted, Weldon A plus on the new headphone earbud setup. You look like a true professional now. Next up is Galt. He looks like a 12-year-old working on a science project with those earmuffs he has on. As for Rojo, well, he is Rojo. His headphones pass the mark. But we don't need him being self-conscious and interfering with any of his rants. Keep up the good work, gents. Best coverage in the game. So that's a true Let's Run poster. Can find, throw some heat. Bring it. You're like, wow, he must hate Jonathan Gold. No, he loves us. Best coverage in the thing. We can give it. We can take it. I guess the Rojo's advice about having children to 20-year-old a thing, Mo, will stay in the podcast. They might even make it to YouTube. Oh, my God. All right, guys. Well, until the supporters club, the Friday 15, it's good to be a good one this week this is the week we actually are going to pick the olympic merit the olympic team all the distance events we said we'd do it last week we're really going to do it this week again i will have the answer key on my laptop robert and weldon will try to see how many they can get right i'll tell them if they're right or not so looking forward to that are you sick of using safety pins to pin your bibbit races i've got a solution for you it's called bibboards.com These are customizable snaps that replace the safety pins. There's no holes, no magnets, no pricked fingers. It's snap and lock technology. It gets rid of safety pins. The cleanest and greenest way to the finish line. You can reuse them. You can customize them. Put your logo on it. Put your favorite saying on them. Race directors. You can make them all for your entire race if you want to. Either way, check it out. Link in the show notes. Bibboards.com. B-I-B-B-O-A-R-D-S.com. Save 20% with code LET'S RUN.